I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In a story of teenage relationships and rivalry, the jealousy of one teenager would become the impetus for a shocking crime that involved not one or two, but four murderers and one innocent 12-year-old girl. This is a case that will have us all asking if there is such a thing as redemption. This is episode 17, The Shanda Sharer Story. Hi, Amy. Hi, Megan. Welcome back. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Have you heard of Shanda Sharer before? I have not, but it's quite the tongue twister name. I know. (laughs) I worry about my pronunciation as well. This is a somewhat older case. And I have to say that this isn't one where I'm coming in going, I'm really excited about this one. This one was probably the hardest case I've covered yet. And I mean hardest in terms of the facts of the case and hardest not just for women in crime or direct appeal, but hardest I've almost ever covered in my career. Wow. I can say that I'm not excited to cover it, but I think it raises really important questions about rehabilitation and redemption and what our feelings are on that and the justice system. So that is something that I would like us to dig into. And that is something that I hope the listeners will think about as we go through the story and you hear all of the facts and the subsequent sentencing and punishment. Think about the justice system. Shanda Scherer was born on June 6, 1979, and after her parents, Jackie Vaught and Stephen Scherer, divorced, she moved to Louisville with her mother and her stepfather. But this marriage would also end, and after this marriage ended, Shanda and her family moved to New Albany, Indiana. When they moved there, Shanda first attended Hazelwood Middle School, but shortly after, she transferred to a Catholic school. But what happened before she had transferred schools? Shanda became involved with another girl. Her name was Amanda Heverin. 
And this was right before she went on to the Catholic school. And Heverin, who was two years older than Shanda at the time, so if Shanda was 12, Heverin was 14, had just ended a relationship or was seemingly ending a relationship with another teenage girl. And that was 16-year-old Melinda Loveless. When you say relationship, you mean romantic relationship or friendship? I do. Okay. I do. I mean mm-hmm. romantic relationships. So Melinda Loveless was furious when Shanda and Amanda attended a school dance together. And she began writing threatening letters to Shanda and telling other people that she was going to hurt Shanda. And this is actually the reason or the impetus of why Shanda's mom transferred her schools so quickly after their move. But it was the relationship between these three girls that fueled an incredibly tragic event. Early in the morning of January 11th, 1992, Melinda Loveless and three of her friends lured Shanda out of her home and into their car. I want to give um, listeners and you a little bit of caution here. These details are very difficult to listen to, so just please keep that in mind. Loveless had been saying that she was going to kill Shanda for her involvement with Amanda Heverin, and now it seemed that she might actually carry out her plan. Keep in mind that these are, I'm going to give you the ages of everyone going forward, but these are teenage girls, and this is Shanda, who's a 12-year-old girl. The girls in this situation, which there were four of them, they tortured Shanda to death. Most of this taking place on an old logging road near one of the assailant's homes, and mostly by the two ringleaders in this crime. And the two ringleaders are Melinda Loveless and Lori Tackett. And I will introduce you to Lori Tackett shortly. Over the course of something like eight to 10 hours, they beat Chanda. At first, they began beating her. They choked her. They stabbed her. They sodomized her. Um, They tried to slit her throat, but the knife was too dull. And that wasn't even close to the end of what they did to Shanda. The girls put her in the trunk of their car and went to Lori Tackett's house. Was she still alive at this point? Yes, she was. So when they were inside Tackett's house, they could hear Shanda still alive in the car, crying out for help, crying out in the trunk. And so they took a kitchen knife and stabbed her several more times. And then Tackett and Loveless took Shanda in the trunk and began driving around. So there were two other girls involved. They're not in the car at this time, but they've gone back. They've stabbed Shanda. Shanda is bleeding. She's dying in the car, in the trunk of this car. When you say that they lured her to the car, did she know these girls that she willingly went? Did they promise her something or how'd they get her in the car? Yeah, so they actually said that they were, you know, friends of Amanda's and Amanda wanted to see her. And so Shanda, being a 12-year-old girl, was so excited about seeing Amanda, who she really liked, that she went with them. Realizing at this point that Shanda still wasn't dead, Melinda Loveless took a tire iron and hit her over the head. And there was a lot of blood that came from this down the face. But Shanda still survived, believe it or not. I know. This is the part that's so bothersome. And so they hit her several more times with the tire iron. And it was also offered, just so you know forensically, that this tire iron was also used to sodomize Shanda at some point. Would not admit to this kind of activity. but. When Shanda was still alive, though, when she was barely alive, she was beaten and bleeding. She was gurgling blood. Her eyes distorted. Her body slumped over on a desolate road where the girls had taken. Shanda cried out her last words for her mom. 
But the girls, in response to that cry out when she was dying, poured gasoline on Shanda and set her on fire, burning her alive. Oh, wow. It's one of the most brutal accounts. For me, like I said, this was difficult because this is the we we cover brutal crimes Mm -hmm. um, and several of them were brutal. But this is the most brutality I've ever seen, and especially out of younger offenders. So keep that in mind. Gender and age are going to become very important here. All right. So let's get into the investigation. Shanda's body was found by two hunters later that morning, naked and, and burned. The worst burns were from the waist up. And police were called into this horrifying scene. And I read that they've never seen anything like this before. Meanwhile, a very shaken Tony Lawrence, this is one of the four girls that I haven't mentioned, almost immediately confessed to her parents that she had seen a murder. And Lawrence, the Lawrences took her to the police station. Now, I I read something that they also, um, Hope Rippy, the other or the fourth girl, was also kind of on the verge of confessing as well or may have confessed as well. But her parents wanted to see a lawyer before they went to the police station. So Tony Lawrence and her family go to the police station where Hope Rippy and her family, I believe, seek counsel first. The police quickly secured arrest warrants for all the girls based on the information that Tony Lawrence gave them and based on a missing persons report that Shanda's family had filed. An autopsy revealed the extent of torture. There was severe rectal bleeding, and that's why they theorized that she was sodomized. Um, She had soot in her lungs, which indicates for people who don't know that she lived during the burning. She was alive for that. There was, you know, the extent of the stab wounds, the choke wounds, the beatings, It was all revealed in this autopsy. After the autopsy, what emerged was that the instigator of this crime, Melinda Loveless, age 16, seemed to have a particularly bad childhood, having reportedly been sexually abused by her father for years along with their other siblings. So I did a lot of research on what the extent was and how serious this was. And there were a number of reports that describe a very volatile open relationship between Melinda's parents and an abusive home in many different ways. Larry Loveless, which by the way, I just think the name is ironic here, right? Mm-hmm. It's because it's Loveless, abused and raped his wife in front of his children several times. And he was eventually charged with several different charges, actually, including assault, rape. But after he spent two years in prison, the charges against him were dropped because the statute of limitations had expired. So they couldn't even technically try him. Um, He was no longer eligible. But he was charged the year after his daughter was. And I think this was a response to his daughter committing the crime and all these reports that came out about him. And law enforcement, I, I think, and rightfully so, probably felt like they had to do something. So what happened was that he wound up sitting in jail for about two years, but then he was released. All right, so that's Melinda Loveless. Lori Tackett, who was the second main accomplice. She grew up in a very strict religious household and seemed to be rebelling against her parents, taking to shaving her head, wearing black, claiming ties to the occult. I saw some reports also that child welfare services had visited her home a few times, but I couldn't verify this to the extent that I could verify Melinda Lovelace's background. So take that at face value. She was age 17 at the time of the crime, and she, again, was probably the second leader in this murder. So far, we have Loveless and we have Tackett, age 16 and 17. The other two girls, Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence, age 15 at the time, went along with this violence, 
But what's really surprising about this, Amy, is that they were friends with Lori Tackett, but they didn't know Melinda Loveless and they didn't know Shanda Scherer at all. And so these girls still participated in this crime. They lured Shanda out, telling her that Amanda wanted to see her and not knowing her or Loveless. So we already have to question, why would they become involved? They were 15 and their older friend was, she's 16 or 17. So Lori Tackett was their friend and she was 17. Okay, so so the older friend, two years doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're 15, a 17-year-old is someone you admire. It, It sure is. And she's a strong personality and I'm not sure to what extent Hope and Well, you'll hear a little bit more about Hope and and Tony when I get to them. But Lawrence and Rippy, these were the two younger girls, the ones that I just covered. They were charged with murder, arson, assault, and other offenses. While Loveless and Tackett were also tried with these offenses, plus additional felony murder charges and child molestation charges. Despite their ages, all four girls were waived into criminal court but they wouldn't stay there for too long as all four girls would eventually take plea deals. So waiver or transfer laws apply to juvenile courts and they vary from state to state, but what happens is there are Certain conditions under which juveniles under the age of 18 can be waived or transferred into criminal courts to be tried as adults. In some states, or most, I'm going to say most states, they're going to do it by the serious nature of the crime. So because of the serious nature and the heinous nature of this crime, they were all to be tried as adults immediately. Other states have prosecutors that can decide, judges who can decide, but the, the usual way to do that is based on crime. So now I'm going to tell you about their plea bargains, because they all took plea bargains. I'm going to talk about their sentences, what sentence they actually served. And I'd like you and the listeners to really think about the role gender and age played in their real-time sentences and whether you think this was fair, whether this is justice, whether you agree with these punishments. The first to take a plea was Tony Lawrence. And if you recall, Tony Lawrence was the one who confessed immediately, and she was the one who said she witnessed a murder. So what the authorities determined was that Tony Lawrence didn't have much of a role. She drove the car, um, but she did not participate in any of the actual assault on Shanda, which again does not make her innocent. Mm -hmm. She's still culpable to some degree. Tony Lawrence cooperated. She gave all the information and she did this in exchange for a 20 year sentence in 2000 after serving nine years of her 20 sentence. And after earning a college education in prison, she was released. So 20 years, but she actually served nine. And this is kind of the difference when you have parole boards and when you don't. So parole boards are able to lessen the sentence and let you out early. Uh, Whereas in some cases uh, or some states for certain crimes, if you get 20 years, you have to serve at least 17 or at least 85% of your sentence. By the way, Toni Lawrence later said that she was absolutely just terrified. So she said that she only went along with, you know, even staying with them or driving the car because she was totally afraid that Melinda and Lori would kill her if she protested. I mean, she was only 15. She was 15. And, you know, I can't say whether or not that's true or not. But if you have two girls who are turning violently on another one and they're willing to start committing these acts, you might be afraid as well. Did she claim that she didn't know that this was the plan? She did. Yes. So both girls, both Tony and Hope, 
kind of thought that they were going to rough this girl up and teach her a lesson for messing with Melinda's girl. And did the two older girls corroborate that? Do we know? To some degree, they do corroborate it. Mm -hmm. But they also would somewhat say that they really didn't expect to murder Shanda. I know. They they would describe things getting out of control, spiraling out of control, the anger, the Mm -hmm. emotions. Yes, they planned to definitely do things that were worse. Mm -hmm. But I think the two younger girls definitely thought this was going to be like, you know, throwing someone a a beating as a lesson. Not that that's right or Mm -hmm. excusable, but certainly they didn't think a murder was going to happen. Hope Rippy took a plea also. It took her a little bit longer, though. She received a 60-year sentence. 60. 60. With 10 years suspended for mitigating circumstances. So that would be 50 years. Okay. Her sentence was later reduced to 35 years. And after serving 14 years, she was paroled in 2006. Rippy participated a lot more than Tony Lawrence, having held Shanda down at times, and she assisted in other ways. So one of the things that I didn't say that Hope Rippy did admit to doing was spraying Shanda with Windex cleaner mm. in her eyes and when she was burning. But also, Rippy is the one who poured the gasoline on Shanda. Ugh. Okay. Now, Rippy's account of that is that Lori Tackett told her to do it. Like she said, Tackett said, pour it. You know, she said, no. And Tackett said, do it now. Mm-hmm. I can't corroborate that or not. But, yeah. it, you know, Rippy was a little bit more impressionable. I have to believe that she did some of these things probably a little bit more at the behest of a mm-hmm. leader than on her own. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would have taken her own initiative here. So it makes sense that she served a bit longer than the first girl. So, yeah. OK, so far, this is making sense. Yeah, so far the order is making sense. But you have to keep in mind that these, again, she got out after serving 14 years and she went in when she was about 17. So she got she got out about 30 or 31. She's a whole life ahead of her. A whole long life in, in front of her. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Tackett. Lori Tackett took a plea and also received 60 years in prison and was released in 2018 after serving 25 years in prison. Now, she gave an apologetic interview. It was aired on Dr. Phil. Um, It was several years later. She was speaking with a crime show, a crime reporter, and she spoke directly to Shanda's mother, and she talked about the regret that she had in causing her mother this much pain. And she also said, though, she wished that she didn't do it. She wished that she would have stopped it. The situation spiraled out of control and that she didn't intend to murder Shanda. But she should have stopped and she should have known better. And she don't know. She didn't know how it got so out of control. Shanda's mother's response was interesting because she said that Tackett said in an earlier hearing, because there were several hearings, there was a sentencing hearing. She said that Tackett had said something like she always knew it was her destiny to murder someone and spend her life in prison at one of these hearings. Tackett strikes me as someone who had a desire to really hurt someone, inflict mm-hmm. pain on someone. And Tackett also described on this, by the way, this Dr. Phil episode that I watched and I encourage people if they can get it to go ahead and watch it because it's with Shanda's mother, Shanda's sister. And I'll tell you, Hope Rippy comes on the show mm-hmm. and they play some of Tackett. So Lori Tackett also described what a person who murders another person, like the reason why. And she describes wanting to inflict pain on someone, wanting to see their fear You know, she wasn't exactly, she wasn't supposed to be describing herself, but afterwards, Shanda's mother and sister kind of said she's describing herself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably more of her motivation for this as well. Is she remorseful truly? It's hard to know. You know, I watched the interview and I mean, 
you know, mm-hmm. she seems somewhat remorseful after several years in prison, but I don't know the extent of that remorse. Hope Rippey also went on the show and she was directly on the show because she was out of prison and she was confronted by Shanda's sister and her mother. Hope seemed on the show very, very remorseful. She said that she was rehabilitated and she said that she was so sorry for being a weaker person at that time. I mean, Shanda's mother and sister had no sympathy for her whatsoever. And of course they wouldn't. But Shanda's mother also said that she didn't believe it took a weak person to set another person on fire, which was an interesting point. Because if you think about the, you know, comparison here, like I did it because I was weak and because they told me to do it, but you're, you're still doing something that is a really, really brutal act on another person. No matter what, she apologized extensively. And the only thing Shanda's mom said is, you know, the only thing I ever wanted from you girls was that you serve your time. So if you really, if you're really remorseful and you really felt bad, you wouldn't have petitioned so hard to get out early. You served more time. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's a, that's a tough one, yeah. right? But we can understand mm-hmm. Shanda's mother's of position. But of, of course, course yeah. you know you're going to petition for parole when you're in prison, right? Mm-hmm. Amanda Hevron was also on the show. Now Amanda Hevron was the center. She was the girl that ignited this controversy. She was the one with whom Melinda Loveless had the relationship. And then Shanda had the relationship. She wasn't part of that crew that... She was not part of the crew that committed the crime. However, Heverin on the Dr. Phil show admitted that Melinda called her after and told her about the crime, came by, showed her the bloody clothes, and again said that they killed Shanda, showing her evidence. And Amanda Heverin didn't tell anyone. So the... Shanda's mother and sister were very angry with Amanda Heverin. Mm-hmm. So they said, you know, she, she didn't tell anyone. Why didn't she call the police? Why didn't she do something? And Heverin said, well, I wasn't sure if it was a story or if it was the truth at the time. And, you know, I had told people ahead of time when I knew Melinda was threatening to hurt Shanda. I told people, I told a youth prosecutor, I told Shanda's parents, or I told other people, which is why Shanda was transferred to school. So I did do things ahead of time. But at this point, I didn't tell anyone. Um, she also discussed the impact that this has had on her life and how Shanda's parents, you know, kind of came after her a little bit too. But she was not charged with anything, right? Nothing. The thing about Heverin is that she was very seemingly unsympathetic to Shanda's family. She talked about, you know, Dr. Phil had said something like, you seem a little callous or you seem a little unsympathetic. And she's like, well, this impacted my life too. You know, I mean, they took me off the basketball team at the time. And, you know, she was just, she spoke like a child, but she wasn't a child anymore Mm because this happened, you know, the the Dr. Phil interview was something like she would have been at the time in her 30s. Whether or not she should have been charged with a crime, I'm not sure. They did tell her after and she didn't. I do actually think she should have been charged, maybe withholding evidence Mm -hmm. or accomplice after the fact. She didn't report it. And Mm -hmm. I think she had an absolute duty to. Yeah. I don't know how she feels, but I don't know why she doesn't feel more responsible. Shanda's parents filed a civil suit just so you know, shortly after the sentencing because they had heard rumors that the girls were talking to a movie production company mm. about their stories. And uh, her family didn't care about making any money, but they just wanted to see the shutdown. Indiana law already prohibits making money off of your felony. So there were no movie deals to follow. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to Melinda Loveless. Yes, I've been on the edge of my seat. Melinda Loveless was paroled in 2019 after serving 26 Not years. Not in New Jersey, right? <laughs> Not in New Jersey. Okay, Indiana. So she was paroled in 2019 after serving 26 years in prison. So she was the last and she Mm -hmm. came right after Lori Tackett. Mm -hmm. But something pretty amazing happened while Melinda was serving her time at the Indiana Women's Prison. 
So she became one of the best dog trainers in the ICANN program. I'm sure you've heard of it. Mm -hmm. It's there. The ICANN is Indiana Canine Assistance Mm -hmm. Network program. So we know a little bit about um, the puppies behind our puppies in prison programs. And from what I know, they actually have some real strong success Mm -hmm. in helping to rehabilitate offenders and give them real skills. So here's the, all right, so the incredible part is not that she became a trainer, but she did become a trainer. And I watched an interview with someone in the prison and they said she's absolutely hands down the best. The incredible part is that Shanda's mother donated Angel, a puppy, in Shanda's honor for Melinda to train specifically. Why? Well, I can tell you that Shanda's mother at first was very unforgiving, as you would be. And she had said, you know, uh, if you want to see something basically lifeless, look at Melinda Lovelace's eyes. Mm -hmm. But she said that after learning about Lovelace partaking in this program and um, doing so well and the reports that she thought, you know what, she should do a donation in Shanda's honor so that Melinda would have to do something to honor Shanda and she would have to do it all the time in remembrance of her and doing something positive because this was now something positive that she was doing. That's very big of the family to do. It was very big Mm -hmm. of Shanda's mother. Mm -hmm. And Shanda's mother, what she said was that she was happy to see a positive change in Melinda's life. She said that um, she never wants contact with any of the four girls. She doesn't feel the need after, you know, she did the the interviews and confronted them. She doesn't feel the need to buddy up with Mm -hmm. any of them. But she was glad to see that there was something in Melinda's life that was honest and true and that there was some type of rehabilitation. In the end, Loveless was paroled. Now I am at the end of the story and I want to get to the part where we talk about our opinion. So do you want to go first, Amy? Sure. I think it's so heinous. The crime was really hard to listen to. But I truly believe that except for, you know, the worst of the worst, I think 25 years should be a max. And especially since these girls, they were girls when this happened. And it sounds like you mentioned them going to school or doing the training program. They all did. They all did educational things in prison. I mean, they all they all did something yeah. productive with their time yeah. in prison. Sounds like they're remorseful. I mean, I want to say it's unforgivable what they did, but I also have worked with offenders who have done worse, and I honestly think they're wonderful people. So I do think people are redeemable. I'm okay with the fact that they're out. Okay, and the sentences for the younger girls too, did you feel those were, like, were the sentences all appropriate, you think? Yeah, it's really hard. You know, 15 is really young. 15 is very And young. also, you have to think what was going on in these girls' lives that made them, you know, that enabled them to commit such a heinous act. They're clearly victims in some way as well. I'm not saying they didn't, they don't deserve to be punished for what they did, but I do think it's important to recognize that something has to be going on, whether it be environmentally or biologically, for 15, 16, 17-year-old girls to commit such a heinous act. Yeah, I read So I didn't report too much on Hope Rippey and Tony Lawrence, their backgrounds, because I read really mixed things. Some people said that all the girls had some challenging childhoods, where other reports said that Tony Lawrence and Hope Rippey had pretty normal childhoods. So because they were conflicting, I didn't want to speak about yeah. that. It does seem like Tackett and Loveless, Loveless in particular, mm-hmm. there's no way to dispute that her childhood was horrendous. Mm-hmm. And so we don't excuse it, but we uh, we can explain it, at least criminologically as well, too. We can understand it. So 
This is a very difficult case for me. The perpetrators were very young, and we have to account for the lack of their mental, emotional, and intellectual development. And we know so much more now. The the courts know more. Scientifically, we know brains aren't developed till 25. Mm -hmm. But this was also so savage and so depraved that on the flip side, I wonder if these girls are so savage at this age, would they then develop Mm -hmm. into even more brutal types later? So it, it makes me wonder if you're if you have signs of this type of antisocial behavior this young, what will happen later on? Well, the hope is that in prison they received services. Maybe they received the attention that they needed. I don't know what kind of mental health programming they got in prison, but I would hope that they received some sort of services that they wouldn't have otherwise received. You know, that kind of alters the trajectory of where they were going. Yeah, we can definitely hope for that. Um, So for the girl sentences, for Tony Lawrence, I thought that was an appropriate sentence. I I don't think Hope Rippey served enough time for me. To be honest, 14 years wasn't enough. She poured gasoline on her. She, She did some extremely vicious things. And I think she should have served more time than that, to be honest. I'm not sure how much more, but more. What about the ringleaders? So that's where I struggle the most, obviously. Tackett and Loveless were, the two of them were like this perfect storm too. Now, had they not come together, would they have committed crimes against other people? I do think yes. So here's why 25 or 26 years, it seems appropriate, but here's my concern. They both get out in their early 40s. We know that offenders age out of crime and we know that people start declining with crime with 40s, but they're still young enough. So for me, I'm going to say that, no, I would have liked them to serve. I would like to see them get out in their 50s because I do believe at 50s, they are probably not at, a, at much of a risk to commit more crime. I do believe they've aged out more. Getting out, I saw them, their pictures when they got out in their 40s. They look like young women to me still, and yeah. I still have substantial concerns about their behavior. But also, if you, if you think about it, the strains they're going to face as you know, they essentially grew up in prison. Whether you're 40 or 50 coming out, you're going to experience the same strains trying to get a job and everything else that they may end up back in prison simply because they can't survive on the outside because uh, they don't know how the world works. They have obviously a felony record and who knows what kind of support they have. So they might be doomed anyway. Right. We don't know much about them. I will say that I hope for society. I really hope for everyone that they are rehabilitated and that these four women realize the severity of what they did. I hope that they live with it and that they think about it, but that they're able to productively move on with their lives and do something good. I also think if, I'm assuming that there weren't many infractions or violent infractions while they were incarcerated. So that helps lend itself to the idea that perhaps, you know, they are more towards rehabilitated than not. The best we can do right now is really, really root for them and rehabilitation. And that's Mm -hmm. for us and the rest of society. Yep. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Amy. Appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, everyone. And we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime.
sources for today's episode come from an episode of Dr. Phil, the Los Angeles Times, the story Death of Innocence, the murder of young Shanda Scherer by David Lohr, and an NBC exclusive by Anne Ryder, convicted killer now training dogs in honor of her young victim. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.